Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Have we gotten to this point where people wake up every morning looking for something to be offended about? I live in this place called the real world, and I understand what is going to happen. Her story is, I was trying to scare him away. At the same time, she shot him point blank in the face. Okay, that's not exactly a warning shot. The Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. Coming up next, Squirrel. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. That number again, 855-616-1620. That is the new Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm getting... I'm. I'm having it just like ingrained in my brain. And so we're, we're going to try to work hard on that. This is my second last show of the decade. Wednesday is my last day of this week, and it's actually my last day of the year, which means it's the last day of the decade. When I come back on Thursday, January 2nd, it will be my, I will be starting my fourth decade in radio. So that's kind of interesting how the, the whole thing works. But, uh, I'll be in touch on Twitter and things like that. We've got a great lineup of guest hosts as well. And I always appreciate the nice folks at Good Karma. I figure if they're kind enough to give me some vacation days, it would be rude not to take it. So that's what we're going to end up uh, doing. All right. Tomorrow, the House of Representatives will in all likelihood vote to impeach President Donald Trump. The vote will be pretty much along party lines. There may be one, two, maybe as many as three Democrats who vote against impeachment. But since the Democrats have a, a pretty decent majority in the House of Representatives, President Trump will be impeached. The matter will then switch to the Senate. There will be a trial in early January. It's still up in the air as to what the nature of that trial is going to be. Uh, Mitch McConnell, who is the leader of the Republican leader in the Senate, he wants it to be sort of a summary thing, no witnesses, etc. The Democrats want it to be a kind of show trial. They want to call witnesses that haven't already been called. There are some Republicans and apparently President Trump who would like to have witnesses called as well. Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, etc. I, I don't know how it's going to all turn out. My guess is it's going to be more along a summary fashion. But regardless of what ends up happening, President Trump is not going to be removed from office. He will Either the charges will be dismissed or he will be acquitted. And my guess is by the middle of January, we're going to be right back to where we were before we started this whole impeachment falderal. Now, it is interesting to me because impeachment is, of course, a political it's a political tool. That's This is not a court of law. There's not standards of innocent until proven guilty. It, it is it is an, it is a, a tool, again, that, that you use for political purposes. And that is how this has been used in this particular case. I am very curious, and I want to start off the program today by talking about something that hasn't happened during this entire impeachment process. And that something that has not happened is the fact that the country has not become galvanized in favor of impeachment. 
you've had the impeachment drumbeat that's been beating from the left for, for actually the better part of three years. I think a lot of people thought that the Robert Mueller investigation was going to lead to charges that would lead to impeachment. That kind of fizzled out. So then you had this phone call last July. Now, because of the whistleblower, that's had a process which, you know, you find out about this in the early fall, and now it's moving through the impeachment process. But regardless of how you feel about impeachment, the reality is this country is incredibly split on the whole question. If you look at the Marquette University Law School poll that came out last week, just Wisconsin residents, you have uh, 50, what was it, 52 to 40 against impeachment. There's a new USA Today poll that's out today, and it, it doesn't necessarily focus on impeachment, where, again, the country remains split. Um, you've got a number of polls in the last couple of days that suggest it's, it's all within the margin of error. Maybe it's 49% who favor impeaching and removing President Trump and 47% who don't. But, but there's, the country is not galvanized. And this USA Today poll that I'm looking at, they, they do, even in the height of all this impeachment stuff, they do, you know, head to head votes. Who would you vote for if the election were held today? Donald Trump or, and then they name a number of Democrat candidates. And it's interesting to me because in all of these national polls, and they're national polls, we decide presidents elect by, you know, the Electoral College and state by state. But these national polls all show President Trump in the middle of this impeachment thing still beating all the Democrat challengers. The USA Today poll shows Trump defeating Vice President Joe Biden by three points, shows him beating Vermont Sand- Senator Bernie Sanders by five points, shows him beating Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren by eight points, and more if you look at Mayor Pete, etc. Now, again, I understand that there's lots of people on both the left and the right who dismiss polls as being unreliable, and, and I, I get it. But clear point is, even after all this impeachment drumbeat, there's still lots and lots of people who, if the election were held today, and you believe the polls, intend to vote for Donald Trump. In the Wisconsin poll, the Marquette University Law School poll, one of the things that I thought was the most interesting is that when they ask the should you impeach and remove number, 52% no, 40% said yes. And then when they did the Wisconsin head-to-heads, President Trump versus various Democrat candidates, the Democrat candidates, whether it's Joe Biden or Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders, they were all getting 45, 46, 47 percent of the vote. So a number of people that were against impeachment and removal, they still intended to vote for somebody other than Donald Trump, which I found to be fascinating. But I don't think you can argue that... the impeachment while there are a number of people who feel very very strongly about it we have not reached a consensus and there's not this national mandate to remove Donald Trump from office in January of 2020 now again i understand that depending on the poll you might say okay 49% of the public think it but this isn't 60% this isn't 70% the vast or at least a a majority or certainly a large plurality of the American people aren't sold on this process at all. Our number, 855-616-1620. 
I have a broad-based question. I've got a couple theories, but but what happened? Why haven't people, why hasn't the general public galvanized around impeachment like a number of, I think, Democrat politicians thought was going to happen? Why hasn't the needle moved over the course of the last several months? Because I will tell you right now, if you accepted my premise that impeachment is a political process, there's no political pressure at, at all on Republicans to vote for impeachment. Now, I understand that there's going to be demonstrations, you know, people taking to the streets trying to urge impeachment, but, but that just not moved the needle. Matter of fact, if anything, over the last month or two, people have become more opposed to removing the president. I have a why question. Why is that the case? I think it has a lot to do with Trump fatigue syndrome, that the last three years, the constant effort to try to find something to delegitimize the president has just worn people out. And now you're, you're seeing the results of that. What do you think? 855-616-1620. Back with your calls in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Here's a text. Jeff, impeachment is just a political stunt. The percentage of people that want Donald Trump impeached, the same percentage of people who did not vote for him in the first place. Yeah, I think there's something to be said about that. Um, the whole process is doing nothing for the average voter except strengthen their opinions on what they want to happen come November. I believe that there's a lot of truth to that. Let's start with, uh, let's see, Joe in Sussex. Joe, you're first. Hello. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. What do you think? Um, I think it's kind of a boy who cried wolf story, honestly. I think there was so much grasping at straws, and this has just been so played out where you go from one thing to the next to the next, where people now, even if, even if, Trump's conduct is, you know, faltered. I think people are just so tired of it because we've already heard the cries so many times that substantiated to nothing. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's what you saw. As I was saying earlier, you know, the minute Donald Trump took office, there were people who wanted him removed. And you you saw this whole Mueller thing that played out for two years. And that was the headline all the time. We're going to find the smoking gun. I I think people are just worn out. And I think the general impression is you've had folks on the other side who've been just throwing anything they can against the wall, hoping for something to stick. And this is the, the latest thing, which is why. I think it has not galvanized support. The people that don't like the president, they want him removed. The people that like him, they don't. And there's no meeting of the minds at all. Well, I I will agree with that. And I also think a big part of it is how the argument is made. You know, anybody can yell and scream at the top of their lungs. And unfortunately, the left seems to think that that's how they're going to get things done. They're not actually putting out any decent argumentative points. It's just kick, scream and kick up dust. Right. Well, and, and it's and of course, it, I mean, thanks for the call. And of course, it, it's it's going nowhere, you know, despite, you know, all the witnesses. And I, I mean, I think once they launched the impeachment process, I think the Democrats hoped that oh, people are going to be paying attention and they're going to believe that this is this incredibly corrupt president who, in order to save the republic, needs to be removed before his term of office plays. And, and so you presented all the witnesses and then it just flat didn't happen. It, it just flat didn't happen. And if anything, and this is one of, I think, the telling numbers in a lot of these polls, if anything, President Trump is, is becoming more popular 
as a result of that, because I think a lot of people are looking at this process and they're saying this is just kind of fundamentally unfair and arguably un-American to try to remove him for something like this. Here's a text. Jeff, a little background. I'm a conservative, but I didn't vote for Trump in 2016 for several reasons. The reason impeachment hasn't taken off is simply for the fact that unless you're highly partisan, Trump hasn't committed an impeachable offense. What Trump did during that call in July might have been wrong, but it could be interpreted in many different ways. No one can clearly point to one clear offense that is impeachment worthy. I agree with that entirely. Like I say, I I have all sorts of issues with that particular call, but we're, we're going down a very, very slippery slope. If we're going to completely turn the impeachment process over to this this view of partisanship, because, again, you, you look back, at what point in time does the, the personal and the political intersect? Barack Obama saying to the Russians, hey, you know, uh, just just let let's hold off on the, this whole missile stuff until after the election. Oh, OK. Is that now an impeachable offense? People understood the, the Richard Nixon thing in 1973, where you have a president that a couple days after a break in then starts talking about um First of all, denies knowing it, and secondly, you know, starts talking about how you're going to pay hush money. People got that. I think what we are replay, seeing right now is a replay of the mid-1990s where you had the Republicans who overreached by trying to impeach Bill Clinton, who did, in fact, commit a crime. Bill Clinton perjured himself, but the whole idea that it was in connection with this affair that he was having with an intern, I don't think people believe that that was a basis to remove him from office. And you saw the backlash. You saw Bill Clinton leaving office more popular, arguably, arguably more popular than he, he ever was. Will that backlash be as great in the Trump impeachment process? Probably not, because Trump is an even is much more polarizing than, than Bill Clinton. And I understand the implications of what I'm saying. President Trump is definitely more polarizing. But, you know, you look at this impeachment process as it's playing out and, you know, who knows how voters are going to vote. But if anything at least in the short term, I think it has galvanized and energized Trump supporters and brought some people who might have been on the fence over to Trump's side, as amazing as that might be. I think this is a classic case of overreach. The people that don't like President Trump still don't like him. They're never going to like him, and they're going to try to vote him out in November, and they may well succeed. That may well succeed. Trying to remove him, though, through this process, I think, is flawed. You've seen it's flawed. It's not going to work. And I think there might even be some people who are surprised that, again, the American people weren't taking to the streets and demanding his removal. And, yeah, I know they're orchestrating some demonstrations today and tomorrow and over the next couple days, but they're not going anywhere. It's way too little, way too late. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Is it true that no good deed goes unpunished? Let me share with you the story. It was in the Wisconsin State Journal yesterday or today, and it, it's it involves this this group of of ladies, um, and, and they they live in the same subdivision out in in Middleton. And they decide that they want to get together and they want to engage in what is a random act of kindness. And so what they do is they say, okay, we we want to go to a local restaurant. 
we're going to go to a local restaurant and we're going to leave a really, really big tip for one of the waiters or one of the waitresses. So they pick this restaurant, C's restaurant, C, as in the letter C, C's restaurant and bakery in Middleton. So they, they go there. There's nine of them. They go for breakfast one morning. They are waited on by a gal who is six, I think she's 16 years old, 16 years old, you know, and she's working part-time at the, the restaurant. She goes to high school. She's apparently like an almost straight-A student. And so, you know, there's four waitresses in the restaurant, this little kind of, this little restaurant. This this high school student, 16-year-old girl, her name is Sarah, she gets the, she gets the table. So she waits on them. They eat. They have breakfast, coffee, whatever. The bill, the bill comes to ninety-eight dollars and twelve cents for these for these um, these ladies. What happens then is one of the ladies goes up to the cashier to pay the bill. The bill again, ninety-eight dollars and twelve cents. She gives the cashier nine hundred dollars, one hundred dollars from each woman. And tells the cashier, tells the manager, here, we, we want, we want to leave the rest of this as a tip for our waitress, for Sarah. So Sarah, the 16 year old, who, who isn't known by any of these, these ladies, they just kind of went into the restaurant. It's not like she'd been waiting on them all year or stuff. They, they leave the tip and the manager says, you realize that this is over $800. Are, are you serious? And the lady says, yeah, we, we, we want to, we want to leave th- this money for her. So um, then the, the lady goes back to the waitress and says, okay, we, we thank you. Um, you know, just, just so you know, we, we left you a tip uh, of $800. And the waitress says, are you serious? And she says, yes, Mer- Merry Christmas. Okay, very, very nice, nice sort of gesture. I was telling this story to somebody yesterday. I said, I think I'm going to talk about this on, on the radio. And they, they asked me a couple questions. They said, the person I was talking to said, I'm just kind of, Curious that this group had no pre-existing relationship with this waitress. Said, no, no, I don't think so. It's it's not like it was the regular. It was just that you know they picked a local restaurant and they just decided hey, whoever waits on us, assuming that they they do a decent job, we're going to give them th- this big tip. So they didn't ask for this. And then my the person I was talking to last night said, "All right, I'm kind of curious. Were there other waitresses that were in the restaurant?" And I said, well, yeah, my, my understanding is there was four waitresses on duty at this little restaurant, and it just so happened that this Sarah was the one that got assigned to this particular table. You know, the, the other, the other three were doing, you know, their, their own, their own thing. It was a completely random decision. Some of these people I was talking to said, I wonder how the other three waitresses feel about Sarah getting the eight hundred bucks and and them, and them get nothing, and I said, well, I I don't know. I said, you know, you think that they'd be happy for her, you know? How how do you think they should handle differently? A person I was talking to said, well, maybe they should have split it among all the other waitresses. And our number is eight five five six one six one six twenty. Okay, so this breakfast group goes in, they leave this enormous tip. For the, this young girl that they don't know, it's kind of just, again, it's one of these random acts of, of kindness. There would have been other employees in the place who, unless Sarah decides to share, that, you know, they're not getting anything. She's getting all $800 of this particular tip. 855-616-1620. 
right? Could this breakfast group have approached this in a different way? If the other employees, if the other employees, the other waitresses who didn't get a part of this tip, would they be justified in feeling left out? From this, would, would they be angry? Could this have the possible situation of causing a backlash against Sarah? Against Sarah? Hey, we we work here all the time. This little high school kid is here, and you know she gets eight hundred dollars left for her. Should they have handled this differently? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. My general reaction was, hey, th- this is this is a random act of kindness, and you know. For people to, if anybody would complain about it, it would be lumped into the category of no good deed goes unpunished. But what would you think? And if you've, look, I never worked as a server in a restaurant, and that's, the, the, the general public is much better off that I never worked as a server. But if, if you were in a situation like that, and somebody did that for one of your coworkers, would you resent it? We discuss in just a moment. Uh, Gru is lining up the calls. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, if I was the waitress, I would not split it with anyone else. After I bust my butt waiting on a large table and they randomly stiff me, None of the other waitresses or waiters give me additional money to compensate. It's the luck of the draw if you are in the uh, waitress or waiter business. Uh, Jeff, it was a random act of kindness, not a calculated, overthought gesture subject to anyone else's judgment. How nice. (laughs) It really was. Jeff, there are some restaurants that have a tip share policy where all the tips go into a pool and are split because some situations, uh, some servers tend to make more money, um, the patio on a nice summer day, etc. Yeah, this is, I don't think, was one of those restaurants. Okay, let's start with Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi. Good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, My thought, are you there? Yep, go ahead. I'm here. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Uh, my uh, The tip share thing was one thing. You know, I, I thought about it, you know, and I thought if you want to give the waitress or waiter a nice tip and have it just go to him, is there a tip share thing or whatever? That's the one the other thing. And the other thing is act of kindness or whatever, uh, random draw, uh, yeah. act of God. You know, you're luckier for it. Get that tip that day. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I, you know, th- thanks for calling. I mean, I, I, I agree. I'll tell you a quick little story. I was with some people the other day, and it was one of these things where they had these different pull tabs. I was not participating, but a bunch of people were playing with these pull tabs. Somebody wins $250. Everybody else loses. And it's kind of like, okay, you won the 250 bucks. I mean, you know, it's, it's like, do you, because you happen to be the guy that just randomly got the pull tab that paid 250 bucks, does that mean you have to give it to everybody else? And the answer would be no. And I, I didn't expect him to give it to everybody else. I did say you, you should buy us all a beer, which he did. Um, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Joni in Red Granite. Joni, you're on WTMJ. Hi there. Hi, Joni. I think it's a good lesson. I think it's a good lesson in life, and I think that's the way life is. And sometimes you're lucky, and sometimes you're not. And I think that she she does not need to share the tip with anybody. I think she earned it, and I think it was the luck of the draw. And I think we've gotten away from 
I mean, share of the wealth is lovely, but I'm not big on that. Right now, now <laughs> so th- I just I really think it's good. Now, mm-hmm. as far as the group, as far as as the ladies, do you think that they deserve any sort of criticism at all? That instead of just randomly picking out this one gal, maybe they should have split it between all the servers or something? Do you think they should have had to do that? No. Yeah. I do not. I waitressed. I, I waitressed in my younger days, about fifty plus years ago. But anyway, yeah, I don't think that. I really don't think they should have to share that. I think it'd be nice if she wanted to buy them a Christmas present, the other three girls, or if she wanted to buy them lunch, or she wanted to take them out for dinner, or something like that. But I don't think that she should have to yeah. do anything in, other than that. A nice gesture, fine, but. It's the luck of the draw, and for all you know, maybe the other ones didn't want to wait on those other ladies because it was a bigger group, and who knows what. Yeah. And the ladies aren't the biggest tippers usually. So oh, oh, I'm not going. Like okay, that. Joanne, it's Christmas. Don't you draw me down that. <laughs> I'm not going down that route. Okay, but I. I and please I, don't call. Don't call me Joanne. Jo, please don't call me Joanne. It's okay. Joan or Joni. It's, oh, that's Joni. A nice name for other people. Okay, got it. Thank, <laughs> yeah. Thanks a lot. Okay, Joan or Joni. Okay, um, five eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk. And text line. No, I, I'm not going down the tipping type. I see. I, I guess I kind of look at this. And no, I, I don't think. First of all, no good deed goes unpunished. I think it's great that these ladies decided. Hey, we're going to try to make somebody's day. I think that that's tremendous. And you know, they actually say they say they're going to kind of do this in the future. They hope to be able to do it once or twice a year. I think that that's great. Secondly, I mean, I I think they get to decide how they want to leave a tip. Um, you know, and if if they decide that this is their practice, more more power to you. As far as the young lady, it's her money. I mean, it's 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 her money. Eric in Random Lake. Eric, you're on WTMJ. Hello, Jeff. Hi, Eric. Um, I probably, I probably would have. Uh, I think it's great that they did that for her. If it was me that I got that money, I'd probably, um, I probably would have given some to one of the other, some of the other waitresses. I just, just be happy for her. I went out. Uh, quick story. I went out for fish uh, at Silver Lake Inn on Wednesday, and a veteran walked in with his daughter and sat down next to us, and I felt compelled to pick up his meal. Yeah, and I could have picked up the meal for the table across from me, which was which was like six women. But I felt like he was a veteran. He was walking with a cane, and and I I picked up his his meal, his and his daughter's meal. He doesn't know I did it. Um, I just asked the waitress, could I could I have his bill when he's finished? And she asked if I knew the fellow, and I said no. I just feel like it's something I should do for him. Yeah, and and I did it, and let 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 them pay it forward then. Right, it, uh, it, exactly. It moved, yeah. it moved the waitress. It moved the waitress. It moved the couple. I paid for the meal and let them take it and take the next step. I, you know, I, I couldn't agree with you, you, you more, Eric. I mean, I, I remember a few years. Gosh, it was several years ago now. Um, my late wife and I, we were having dinner at a restaurant in Epcot. This was a number of years ago, and it was, you know, Epcot at Disney World. And there was a there was a, a couple, young couple. He was in the military, and you know, he was because he was in his uniform, and they were sitting there, and they were at the table next to us, and we're kind of listening to him and all, and it seemed like a very nice young couple, and and we decided to do the same thing, and so we got up, and you know, we paid our check, and we we went up, and I I found the the server or the manager or whatever, and I said, look, I I, I want to pick up their their tab. Here's and I just I gave them some cash and I said I will this cover what they've ordered and they said yeah and I said will this cover the gratuity they said yeah and then we we just walked out I mean I didn't want that recognition but yeah you're exactly right that's the same premise if you have an opportunity to do something like that and you hope those people are going to pay it forward at some point in time because I certainly know over the course of my life I 
have been uh, I have been blessed. I have been the beneficiary of certain random acts of kindness. And again, if you, if you can pay that back, and I'm certainly not going to criticize these folks for deciding that this is how they want to do it. I I think that's great. And I think the world would be a better place if if more of us, you know, were able to do some things like that. Will in Oconomowoc. Will you're on WTMJ? Hello. Hi. Uh, good afternoon. I think. Along the same lines as pay it forward, rather than giving it to the other servers, I think, I mean, ideally what I would do, I, I serve in the summers, and I would give the money to the kitchen staff because those guys back there, back of the house, they work so hard, and they make so much less money than the wait staff in the front, and it's the holiday season. I think, I mean, kitchen staff deserves a lot more than what they get. Uh, well, yeah, I, exactly. I mean, I guess, I, and I understand all that, and I, I, you know, I understand all that. And there's like a different. I mean, the argument would be, okay, well, why, if you're going to share it with the other waitresses, why wouldn't you then share it with the hostess? Why wouldn't you share it with the guys in the back that are washing the dishes or the people that are cooking? At what point in time do do you stop? And I guess all all I would say is, I don't, I don't think they thought that much. I mean, they were simply, hey, okay, she's good. We've decided we want to pick out somebody. She seems to be a deserving young lady. And, yeah, and it, as it turns out, it's this you know high school kid with almost a straight-A average who's clearly going to remember this. And, and my guess is she will, in fact, pay it forward. Kind of a, a, a just a very, very nice gesture. And you'd like to see more people, if they're in the position to do that, you know, do that, especially, you know, certainly 365 days a year, but, but also in particular during the holidays. I just think it's a, it's a great story. And I'm always moved when I see, again, the, these acts of kindness and these acts of charity that, you know, people, it, it kind of restores your faith in humanity. Actually, it does, because we, we deal with so much of the bad stuff. It's one of the reasons I love being part of our, our Capco Kids to Kids Christmas campaign, which just uh, wound up on, on Saturday, because you get a chance firsthand to see the generosity of people, and it reminds you that, even though there's lots of stuff that divides us, Lord knows there's lots of stuff that divides us in this world, there's all sorts of stuff that brings us together as well, and that's refreshing and it's heartwarming. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner. You know, this... The Fire and Police Commission in Milwaukee, it just gets stranger and stranger. Now, I... The, the word that people I know who are kind of familiar with the scene are, are saying, the word I hear is shady, that, that there's some shady stuff going on. That, that's the phrase. And I, I, don't, I don't know enough about the individual commissioners to have a strong opinion, but I will tell you this. It, it's a hot mess. Now, after Ed Flynn left town with all sorts of, of baggage, and, and some of Flynn's problems weren't his own fault. I mean, I, I think he, he started becoming the toady for Tom Barrett, and, and that got him into trouble. They came up with these policies that didn't work and led to a disrespect for law and led to, I think, an increase in crime. And, and Flynn had had to accept that. I think there were things that Flynn did, like with the police chase policy, that he really knew in his heart of hearts. He would never admit it. But he knew in his heart of hearts it wasn't the right thing to do. So the Fire and Police Commission appoints Alfonso Morales, who's veteran police officer, to, you know, fill out Flynn's term. 
Morales has had just a heck of a start. And, and I say that you've had, you know, officers who were killed in the line of duty. You've had a variety of problems, the controversy involving the Sterling Brown situation and all the other problems with go with trying to manage a, a large urban police force in a community that is very, very divided. Some people view the police as an occupying force. Other people believe the police go too soft on crime. And then, of course, you're, you're dealing with budget cuts that leave you know department vacancies just through the roof. So in all this, I, I think Chief Morales, in my opinion, has done a very, very good job. I think he's largely apolitical. I think he's called him as he's seen him. I think he's done the best he can in difficult situations, and he certainly deserves a new term. I mean, there's, you know, you what do you, you can do a national search, and you're not going to find somebody, you know, that's better. And yet he's being jerked around. The mayor, who was a little bit slow to push for his reappointment, has now said, I want the chief to be reappointed. Fire and Police Commission a month or two ago said, okay, well, we're not going to look for other candidates, but we are, you know, we're going to review him. Almost everybody thought that this should have happened by now. His term expires in early January. That's the term. Now, the Fire and Police Commission has just announced that, well, we're, we're not in a hurry. We're, we're not going to be making a decision. He can stay on and work without a contract if, if he wants. That is no way to run a fire and police commission. And the chairman of the commission, an attorney named Stephen DeVogus, he, he should know better than that. And I don't know what's going on, but there's clearly some hidden agendas that are being pursued. Now, the Fire and Police Commission is a train wreck. They've got all these vacancies that they can't fill. There's employees on the Fire and Police Commission who've been there forever who've resigned, saying that the new director, you know, is just um, not up to speed. And I mean, I don't know exactly what the reaction is, but I will tell you, you know, Milwaukee has trouble finding good police chiefs. Uh, Chief Morales is one of them. So the latest story is, okay, they're going to hold up his appointment. He can keep working as a chief if he wants, but they're not willing to make a commitment to him. Uh, DeVogus, again, he's the chairman. He says, well, we, we've got we've got questions. We want demographic data for the 50-plus sworn officers Morales has fired during his tenure and the nature of the infractions. Well, don't you already have that information? It's the Fire and Police Commission. But, I mean, what are, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to make sure that he didn't fire too many minority police officers or he fired enough white police officers? But don't you already have that information? He says, we want um, an update on compliance with the settlement agreement and the ACLU stop and frisk lawsuit. And we want an update on uh, an audit regarding the arrest of Sterling Brown. Okay, none of those are reasons to delay reappointing Chief Morales. And the longer this goes on, the more foolish the Fire and Police Commission makes itself look. And given the train wreck that is the Fire and Police Commission now, that's a pretty darn big statement. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. We mentioned this in the 2 o'clock hour of yesterday's program. Uh, yesterday, both the Dow Jones Industrial Average and the NASDAQ closed at all-time record highs. And for 
some people who are out there who are just appalled at the general public that there's not broader support for, remove, for move, removing President Trump for, from office. Well, I mean, people do tend to vote their pocketbooks, and you can argue how much credit this president or any president deserves for the state of the economy. But there's no question when the economy is doing well and when people are seeing their retirement investments grow, um, it's, it's, it's a tougher sell to get people worked up over some of the other political issues. For the record, the Dow right now is up 47 points. Not the dramatic, you know, 100, whatever it was yesterday. But still, if this holds over the course of the next two hours, uh, the Dow, if it closes up today, it will be a new all-time record high. Same thing for the NASDAQ. The NASDAQ's only up about five points now, but it closed at a record high on Friday. So at least at this point in time, you really see a Santa Claus rally going. And uh, this December turning out to be a pretty darn good month for stocks. Last week... I went where angels feared to tread. I did a topic involving a senior center down on the south side. And I, I think I would be fair it would be fair to say that this particular topic generated more emails and texts and more hostile emails and texts than well, anything this side of impeachment, and whenever you talk about impeachment, that's always guaranteed to generate. You've always got the usual suspects on, on both sides of that. But but this was a topic that really, really hit home and continued to generate texts and emails for the next couple of days. Well, the decision has now been made. If you haven't been following the story, here's what happened. Wilson Park Senior Center, south side, about 26th and Howard or so. The Milwaukee County offered the Senior Center as a location for one of the the groups that's out there fighting homelessness. They offered the Senior Center at Wilson Park as an option for a, a warming room on the south side. And the idea was, what we're going to do is we're going to open the doors at 7 o'clock at night and we'll allow people homeless people, people without a place to go, wherever, will allow people to stay there from 7 o'clock at night till 7 o'clock the following morning. And because they picked this location because there's only one other place, a church on the south side that offers shelters of this type. The deal is, look, that they don't they don't want people just loitering around the rest of the day. So what they're going to do is they're going to provide transportation to the senior center for people who are staying overnight, and then outreach workers will help get people there. There will also be a plan to provide transportation and bus passes in the morning because one of the concerns was going to be, all right, if you bring in people from you know wherever, do this just mean that they're going to be hanging around and loitering around the senior center during the day? And the people that are responsible for say, no, that, that's not the plan. We're going to give people bus passes. This is just going to exclusively be from 7 at night till 7 o'clock in the morning. There was a, a meeting on this last week, and it generated a huge, huge turnout. And I think it would be fair to say that... Almost everybody, not everybody, but almost everybody was opposed to this. 
And the arguments ranged from the fact that, well, you know, you're going to, again, you're going to be bringing homeless people and they're going to be hanging around and they're going to be loitering in this area and they're going to be creating problems. I got a number of texts saying, don't you realize, Jeff, that these people are going to be bringing bed bugs and things with them and they're going to infest the um, senior center and it's going to be terrible for the seniors and this is going to end the, the senior center. Nobody's going to go to it anymore. I got I got multiple texts along those lines. In any event, they're announcing today that tonight is going to be the first night that the senior center is going to be open as a warming room. So authorities have gone ahead and they've decided, look, this is what we're going to do. The senior center itself opens up around 8 o'clock in the morning, maybe a little bit later, and then it closes around 5-ish or so. So the... The, the plan is that the people who are coming during the day to use the senior center services or whatever, they're really going to have no interaction with whoever might come over there and use it to, to stay overnight as the warming room because that's not even going to start till 7 o'clock. So that's what their plan is. Our number is 855-616-1620. Now, when we talked about this last week, I took this position that I guess became more controversial than I thought it would, was that if if we are going to oppose the, the tent cities and the, the homeless encampments, things that I think all of us would agree are, are not in anyone's interest. It's not in the interest of the community. It's not in the interest of the businesses. And it's certainly not, I don't think it's in the interest of the homeless to allow them to just set up squatters camps under freeway overpasses. If we agree with that basic premise, the other reality is that people have to have places to go particularly during the winter. And public facilities, in this case, you know, a senior center, seems to me to be an ideal choice for a a bad situation. Look, in a perfect world, everybody would have a place to stay and everybody would have a roof over their heads. We unfortunately don't live in a perfect world. And until we can figure out, I don't know, some massive public housing proposal or something like that, we're we're faced with these emergency needs, which is, hey, it's going to get down to the single digits and people need a place to go. And it seems to me that this is something that makes sense. All right, let's tee this up. 855-616-1620. Over the objection of a number of people in the community, authorities have decided to go ahead and open up the senior center from 7 at night till 7 in the morning for homeless people, 50 to 60, I think, is the capacity to use as, as a place to get out from the cold. I don't think this is going to turn out to be as disastrous a policy as some. Matter of fact, I, I think... Most of the people who use this during the day, they're not going to even notice the fact that you had these people that were there overnight. But I could be wrong. 855-616-1620. Will this turn out to be a disaster or will this end up being kind of a, a good use of resources and a good solution to a very serious problem? What do you think? 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Want to cheer on the green and gold but don't have a radio handy? Grab your computer, stream every Packers game at WTMJ.com. Wayne and Larry call every play for the 2019 Green Bay Packers. Go to WTMJ.com on your computer to stream every game live. 
All right. Last week, when they had this community meeting, where I I, I would say. Uh, my guess is 75 to 80 percent of the people who showed up opposed turning the senior, the Wilson Park Senior Center into a temporary warming shelter slash place for homeless people to to sleep at night. I'd say 80, 75, 80 percent were probably opposed. The concerns, and I'm looking at the story in the Journal Sentinel last week, bringing drug users and people from other areas of the city who will roam the neighborhood during the day, germs and diseases that would pose a risk to seniors with already weakened immune systems, Bed bugs center members could bring up and up bringing into their home, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, the direct the person responsible, for the, she said, look, I mean, many of the people who are going to sleep at the center, they're already living homeless in the area, some near the park. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to sanitize the warming room before the, the center opens and you know if if you're really concerned about bed bugs well we could bring in a heat machine and deal with stuff like that and 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 that did not satisfy people but the county has decided to go ahead and and do this anyways and candidly i I applaud them for that the folks who are living homeless have to have some place to go during the winter this is not in my opinion a long-term solution the, the problem of homelessness in Milwaukee isn't the only city that's dealing with this. You've got places all over the country which are dealing with these problems. We might do it as a topic a little bit later on. But just two days ago, the U.S. Supreme Court let stand a court ruling which says that cities can't criminalize people sleeping on sidewalks or in public places, which is going to create a huge, huge problem if, you know, people – just decide that they can flop anywhere they want. That's not good for the communities. I think the Supreme Court is wrong, but, you know, what do I know? Um, this is an issue which is playing out all over the country. And the bottom line is you, you have to you, you have to have a place for homeless people to go. Now, I don't know in the big picture that the Wilson Park Senior Center, with its, you know, 50 beds or whatever, that that's a, a great long-term solution. I, I think... Perhaps smarter people than me have to figure out what exactly that long-term solution is to to deal with people who otherwise don't have some place to stay at night. But it seems to me it's a decent short-term solution. And my guess is the reality, the folks who are using this for programs or whatever during the day, they're going to have no interaction or almost no interaction with the people that are there from 7 at night until 7 in the morning. And I guess it's it's always possible to imagine the worst-case scenario. There's going to be germs. There's going to be all this type of stuff. But with, with appropriate sanitation, you can minimize that. And, and maybe something bad will happen and we'll all be proved wrong and end up with egg on our faces. But at least right now, You've got a homeless crisis, homelessness crisis in this area. If we all agree that living under freeway overpasses is unacceptable, right? You got to come up with alternatives. And in this case, I think it is a reasonable alternative. And my guess is, even though a lot of people were opposed to it, after this is in place for 30 or 60 or 90 days, nobody's going to have any issue with it. That's just my guess. We'll see. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Have a texter. What about the YMCA? The original intent and mission of the YMCA was to bring in young men that had no other place to go. It's now a place for swim meets, exercise clubs, and AAU basketball. Well, 
you know, the, the YMCA is not a is not a publicly owned facility. Wilson Park Senior Center is, and so if the county's decided that they want to, you know, deal with this, I think again that that makes sense. Not saying that there's not other alternatives, or maybe we should explore other alternatives, like taking. I don't know, maybe maybe converting some of the underused MPS schools or something like that into places where people can stay temporarily. I don't know exactly what the answer is, but I know that you can't have people living under freeway overpasses. All right, we've made the Wall Street Journal. Wall Street Journal, and this is, it, it is, it's one of these stories that just makes me want to bang my head on, on the microphone because of the way people react to these stories. There are news, if you watched the news last night, there were these pictures of all these protesters who were out and about protesting the ruling by Ozaki County Circuit Judge Paul Malloy that, gee, the State Elections Commission was supposed to follow the law and purge names from voter rolls for people who may very well have moved. If you haven't been following the story, long story short, here's the deal. Wisconsin has a statute which says that if an elections commissioner or municipal clerk gets notice from a government agency that somebody might have moved, for example, you change your registration with the DMV from one address to another, or you get a notice from the post office, for example, that you sent the post office a change of address thing. The post office notifies the municipal clerk that, hey, we've gotten this notice that Jeff Wagner has moved. He's changed his address. What happens is under the law, the, uh, the municipal clerk or the elections commission is supposed to send out a postcard to the person at their previous address. And it says, hey, we've received information that you have you have moved. We've got reliable information that you have moved. Um, we're going to take you off the rolls unless you've got to return this card. If you're still living there where you're supposed to, for, where you used to, for any reason, send the card back and you'll stay on the rolls. Otherwise, you get removed. It's something that makes, when you think about it, just eminent sense. I moved a couple years ago. I didn't send a letter to my municipal clerk saying, hey, I'm moving. I just went ahead and moved. And then I re-registered you know, at my new place. Well, okay. So you have the elections commission that decided that they didn't want to follow the law it's it's that simple the law says you know this is what's supposed to happen and if the person doesn't get the card back you remove them well the elections commission said well we don't want to remove them in 30 days let's let's wait a year before we remove them and you had a lawsuit that was filed by the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, filed in Ozaki County, and the Ozaki County judge said the law is really clear here. I, I'm, I'm not passing judgment on whether or not I think there should be two postcards or three postcards or the 30-day period or whatever. I'm just saying this is what the law says, and I expect the Elections Commission to follow that law. Now, for its part, the Elections Commission, despite the fact that you've got a ruling by a judge, they're not purging the voting rolls right now. They're saying, well, we're going to wait to see, you know, how the appeal works out. And, uh, okay, maybe, maybe not. But I, I look, the law is very, very clear. And all the Elections Commission is doing is uh, is dragging their feet. But it's interesting because now all these people are protesting, oh, this is the voter suppression by the evil Republicans. And the Wall Street Journal has an editorial today about Wisconsin once again. It's headlined, The Voter Theft That Wasn't. Liberals are howling about Republicans in Wisconsin trying to steal the 2020 election after a state judge in Wisconsin on Friday ordered more than 200,000 voters removed from the rolls to protect ballot integrity. The complaints 
as usual, are overwrought. And then it goes down and it talks about, you know, the, the different laws. And they conclude by saying, enforcing state law will merely help ensure that a liberal University of Wisconsin student doesn't vote in both Madison and Milwaukee, or that a Trump supporter in Wisconsin and Iowa doesn't vote twice. Democrats use cries of disenfranchisement to motivate their voters, but voter integrity shouldn't be a partisan issue. And it isn't in this case in Wisconsin. Yeah, the law says what the law says. You got all these people who are now protesting because, gee, you finally got a judge who says to the government, we want you to follow the law. How novel. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I have a friend who's thinking of relocating a business into the city of Milwaukee. And he has not asked my opinion. I have not offered. It's just one of those things. I just I just know this is going on. If he were to ask me his opinion, my opinion, though, I would say, have you been following what happens in the city of Milwaukee and what passes for for leadership? Seriously, I mean, do you really want to get involved with, I don't know, the, the group, the group of clowns, the clown car act that is, for example, not just Milwaukee County Board, but that, that, that is the Common Council. Do you really want to deal with this? And I mean, example number one is, of course, you know, what, what happened a few weeks ago with, with Strauss meat plack, packing. You know, this was the company in Franklin that wanted to locate into Century City, which is down here on Capitol Drive. The place has been a moonscape. It's the old Tower Automotive plant, and the city, for the better part of a decade, has been trying to get businesses to, to move in there. And the idea is, you know, if we get a business to move in there, we make it easier for people who work in the area to go to, for jobs, and that might spur other economic development. But they can't get businesses to move in there for a wide variety of reasons. So they line up this deal where Strauss Meatpacking, which is a state of the art meatpacking facility in Franklin. And and just let me mention this. It's not if, if some of you maybe when you were in high school or something, you know, you read like books like by Upton Sinclair about like slaughterhouses and things like this. That this is not a modern day modern day thing. This isn't like like a giant slaughterhouse where you're going to have all these awful smells or stuff. You talk to people in Franklin, they, you, you wouldn't even know that the Strauss facility is, is a meatpacking plant as opposed to some other sort of business. But anyhow, so they're going to bring this in. It's going to be bringing all sorts of jobs. It's going to be a huge investment in that part of the city. And the local alderman gets rolled by, I don't know, some talk show host, part-time talk show host on one of, like, the local stations, you know, in the inner city, and a group of community constituents get upset, and and they, they... they just they start fighting the, this policy to which the folks at Strauss Brands, Strauss Meat say, look, we we don't want to go where we're not wanted. And they pull out of the deal, assuring that this place is going to continue to be, uh, again, a, a moonscape. No jobs for the community. You know, we talked about it extensively when it happened. But it's just, again, it's the lack of leadership in the city of Milwaukee that when Tom Barrett, who's been trying and look, it, as much as it pains me to say nice things about Barrett, you know, they, they were trying. They found this business. This was going to be one of the silver bullets that they were going to have. And then you have the local alderman that pulled the rug out from under them, screw over the constituents and screw over the city. Okay, so against that backdrop, you have this story that we discussed last week, the story of the Comfort Inn over on Park Place. So we're talking about the extreme northwest part of the city, Comfort Suites Hotel. 
they have a okay let's back up they go to the common council because they need permission to put up a new sign outside their place uh, like a monument sign to tell people they're open for business this is not controversial Nobody comes and says, okay, you shouldn't be able to have the sign. It's not controversial at all. It's a sign for a business, right? Well, what happens is one of the older women comes in and says, look, well, I don't have anything to say about the sign. But there was a time a few months ago where I tried to check into this hotel with my family because we were having power outages at our house, and they wouldn't let me check in because they said they don't rent to people with who live within a 30 mile radius okay and they said all right and she said i think that's racist right well of course that that that's all wonderful and so then the common council says oh well we 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 might not want to support or do anything to help the business of this racist sort of business and so then they start exploring and yes it's true that this hotel has a policy that they don't rent to people who live in a 30 mile radius it's not just black people it's white people, it's brown people, it's green people, it's blue people. They have a policy, and, and we know we've talked about this extensively. There's reasons for these policies, because what happens is hotels, when they rent to locals, there's a lot of times where the locals will use these as, hey, we're, we're going to rent a room and we're going to have a big party, and it's going to create a huge problem. Or it people will come and the locals will use it for criminal activities like drug dealing and prostitution and things of the like. Not implying that the older woman was going to do it for that, but that's why they have these policies. It is not an unreal, reasonable policy. And they're not saying we don't rent to black people. They're saying we don't rent to people who live within 30 miles. So immediately some of the news outlets, they go out and they they, they call and they say, here, I want to rent a room and I live in Mequon. And they're told, yeah, if you live within 30 miles, it, it does. it's not just people from Milwaukee that can't rent there. Anybody that lives within a 30-mile radius, Waukesha, Washington County, Ozaki County, doesn't matter. They don't want locals for whatever reason. All right, so this gets a lot of controversy. The other comfort suites down at the airport, they have a similar policy. They say, look, we're we're a traveler's hotel. We don't rent to locals. You know, they don't want to go into why they don't do it, but, you know, we know the reasons. So this is the deal. So anyhow, this one older woman, she gets herself all bent out of shape over this. And then you get people like, you know, Alderman Russell Stamper saying, well, we can't support a racist policy. And again, this is the knee jerk stuff you get that it's just it's so mind-bogglingly stupid and there's just no other way to describe this well this has got to be racist you know they're not renting this black older woman from milwaukee well okay they're if i wanted to rent there they wouldn't rent to the white guy who lives in ozaki county either because i live within 30 miles it's not racist it's just the policy you can argue whether it's a great policy or not but as long as they apply it across the board no problem so why am i carrying on about this well okay i've got the dazzling new update on this Common Council said no to the sign. Common Council refused to allow this new sign based on the policy. And, and again, apparently there's no, they didn't say why. They just decided we're not going to allow this business to have a new sign. Okay. I, I just, it makes, it makes your head want to explode. You have a business in Milwaukee that is presumably employing people, 
generating revenue, paying property tax dollars, you know, paying sales tax, all that type of stuff, you would think that the bozos on the Milwaukee Common Council would want to do everything they possibly could to encourage this business and all sorts of other businesses to grow, to thrive, and survive. But because they don't like this policy of, gee, you know, we got to live out 30 miles outside the area to rent here, they're going to screw them over on a sign. And anybody thinking of coming into the city of Milwaukee and doing business, all you got to do is you got to look at what happened to Strauss Meat. You got to look at what's going on with the comfort suites. And, and you know, you got to ask yourself, why do I want to go through this? What do I want to put myself through this for? And I'm sympathetic to the mayor. I am. I'm sympathetic to the business development. And I'm sympathetic to the taxpayers of the city of Milwaukee. Because as long as you have people on the common council who are going to, I don't know, take their own weird sort of views of what's right and what's wrong and social engineering and apply that to attack businesses, you're never going to succeed. It's just flat out never going to succeed. This is Jeff Wagner. When we come back, speaking of not succeeding, let's get on the hop. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, very glad to have you with us. All right, the new numbers are in. And now, if you remember the hop, the trolley, the Milwaukee streetcar, it opened in November of 2018. You had that huge opening weekend where all sorts of people came down and, and rode it. Um, and so it, it's been going on for a year now. We now have the numbers, November to November. So you can do a year-to-year comparison. You can compare apples to apples, excluding that, that three-day period, that kind of grand opening celebration. November of 2019 to number November of 2018, the number of rides have dropped dramatically. November of 2018, when it was the bright, shiny new toy, excluding the opening weekend, average daily rides, 2,459. November of 2019, average daily rides. And again, it's free. Keep in mind, it, it continues to be free. 1,767 average daily rides. That is a drop of 28%, which is a huge drop. Their first-year ridership, even given the drop in November, continues to exceed what they predicted with a big asterisk because the predictions, of course, didn't assume that it was going to be free. The predictions didn't assume that it was going to be free. So the, the whole idea that we're doing this for free, not requiring people to pay, skews the, the whole numbers. But even with that, and even with it still being free, November 2019 dropped below what they thought the estimates were going to be, and a substantial drop from the year before, even keeping it free. And I think as, if, as everybody agrees, if, if you were to charge for it like they planned to do, that would just cause ridership to fall off the cliff. So that's, that's kind of where we are. Now, November had bad weather. So it's obviously going to be a weather-dependent sort of thing. So there's all sorts of variables that you could look at. You could say, well, okay, I mean, last November was better weather-wise than this November was, so maybe that could affect this. 
Our number is 855-616-1620. Here is my question. What is ridership going to do over, let's say, the next six months? Was November of 2019 a blip? Just, okay, this aberration, because that, that, believe me, I, I, I work in this industry where all of a sudden, you, you know, everything's fine, and then you get this just weird, weird numbers for like a month, and then, you know, everything goes back to normal. So I get it. Was this just a blip, or is it part of a longer-term trend that now the novelty and the newness of the streetcar, the trolley, now that that's wearing off, are we going to see a continue and drop continuation in the drop of ridership, even if they're able to figure out a way to keep it free? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My gut reaction is yes, but let's discuss. Dennis in Milwaukee. Dennis, you're first. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Jeff, the way I look at it... Um, the hop had over 100,000 riders in July. That's an average of about 3,400 a day. They had 80,000 in August. I think you're always going to see the ridership in the spring and summer months be higher than the ridership oh, oh, during def- the winter no, months. Oh, definitely. But this is this is November to November. So you're, car- you're this is you're, you're comparing apples to apples. You're not saying, hey, the ridership is lower in November than it is in July. And I agree with you. It, it, you'd expect it to be a lot higher in July. This is November to November, 28% drop. I, I, I think November 2019, and I know your figures excluded that opening weekend, but I think in the entire month of November 2019, uh, the hop was kind of a novelty, and it doesn't surprise me that the ridership uh, was higher in 2019 November than in this past November. I, I think the proof is going to come in this summer to see if um, the ridership is going to be roughly the same as it was uh, during the summer. What of do you think it's going to be? Do you let, let's let's look over the next okay? I'll, let, let's look over the next eight months. Do you think ridership is going to be up, down, or or level? I think it's going to be either up or level. I I can't see it dropping because I think the more people that ride it um, are going to appreciate the service that it provides. Well, then my my question would be what happened in November because it dropped by 28% from November to November. Well, again, I think November 2019, and you can check with your weatherman on this, but I think November 2019 it was abnormally cold. And uh, that had something to do with it. But again, November 2018, it was still a novelty. Yeah. No. Okay. Thank. No. There's no. There's no question. I think the 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 November 2018 numbers were artif- artificially inflated by by the newness. It was the bright shiny toy. Let's go down and ride this. And again, it's, as long as it's as long as it's free, it's okay. Let Let's just kind of see what what this is. The November of 2019, and I do concede it, it was cold, and, and weather is always going to have a factor, which is one of the, you know, which is one of the things that I'm not sure they, they necessarily baked in when they considered the, the ridership estimates in the first place. But November of, of 2019, I, I will concede, you know, you had you had a lot of bad weather. We had a bad, bad November. Is that enough to account for a 30 percent drop? I I don't. I don't think so. Now, does that mean that I think you're going to have a 30% drop month after month after month? Not necessarily. 
But for people who are out there saying, okay, we need to jump in and we need to make a major expansion, well, and this is just another reason why you want to put a big red flag up there. Because, again, the, the ridership numbers, even though they say they exceed expectations, the, the caveat, the asterisk is all those predictions assume that people would be paying, not that it would be free. So unless you're going to make a decision saying, look, we're, we're never – going to charge for this. We're going to make this a free system and we're going to either take it out of the general revenue or we're going to try to find sponsors, divert sponsorship revenue that otherwise would have gone to something else into paying for the fares. Unless that's going to be the decision that you're going to make and they may very well do it because like I say, everybody I think understands that if they start charging these numbers are going to decline dramatically. But at the very least, you look at these numbers and I think it's fair to say all right, the, the newness is now wearing off. Before we start talking about major expansions of this line at a cost of tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars, maybe we really need to figure out what the long-term viability of this is. And I also understand the argument as well. It, it's almost like a self-fulfilling thing. Well, of course nobody's riding it because it doesn't go anywhere. It's only this 2.1-mile line, so what we need to do is we need to spend hundreds of millions of dollars, and we need it to run to different places so it's more convenient for people. Well, okay, again, that's all well and good, but the question becomes where is the money going to come from to do all that, and is that the best use of the money? It One month is not a basis, numbers up or numbers down, to make any sort of long-term conclusions. But now it is going to be interesting because now we're going to start to compare apples to apples, and we're going to see where we were last year versus where we were this year, and at least for the month of November, we're down dramatically as fewer and fewer people get on the hop. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Centerville, Centerville Iowa is a small community located about 90 miles or so south east of Des Moines, to kind of give you an idea. Centerville, Iowa, is in the center of a national debate, because here's the deal. The Chamber of Commerce, last month, together with a couple other civic organizations, gets together and assembles a creche. A creche is a nativity scene, essentially. It's got the, the baby Jesus in it. And what they do is they ask for permission to display the nativity scene on the front yard of the public courthouse. The courthouse is owned by the county that this is in. And the, the, the okay, the, the courthouse is owned by the county. The lawn of the courthouse is owned by the city. All right, so they, they, they get permission from the, the county to, to erect the creche, the, the nativity. So they put the nativity scene up there. Well, the city administrator comes along and says, we've had complaints about this, so we are directing you, you have to move it. You have to get it off of the city-owned land. And they do. They follow their instructions. But then they, they say, look, we, we want you to reconsider this because we think this is America and we should be able to have this nativity 
on the front yard of of the courthouse. Now, by the by the way, I understand sometimes people get confused with the whole idea of church and state, but in this case, the law is pretty clear. The Supreme Court ruled in 1984 that displaying a nativity scene on public property does not violate the U.S. Constitution. And the reason they do that is they say it has a legitimate secular purpose and does not primarily advocate a certain religion. All right, so you you can agree with that or you can disagree with that, but the Supreme Court says that nativity scenes can be placed on public property. That doesn't mean they have to be. So the city administrator says it's got to go because we've had somebody that that complained about it. So they direct them to remove that, and the Chamber of Commerce does. But then the Chamber of Commerce comes back and says, look, we we want you to reconsider this. We want the ability to put this, this up there. And they had a raucous hearing two nights ago. Hundreds of people pile in. And you had a number of people who were saying, look, you know, we, this, this is, this is America. We should be able to display this on public property. Then you had people who were opposed to it. For example, I'm looking at the story, a resident of the area named Bo Reeves said at the meeting that he was an atheist and that he didn't think that, well, quote, I shouldn't have to see baby Jesus on the courthouse lawn. All right. The Common Council ultimately decided that they just didn't want to get into the middle of this, and so they said, nope, you you can't put this on public property. We're not going to allow you to do it. Even though the law would permit you to, we're not going to give you a permit to do this. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Supreme Court says groups can do this. Other groups have displayed things on the lawn. This particular community has decided, at least the city council has decided, because some people are offended by this, we're not going to allow it to be erected on the courthouse steps. Did they get it right? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My answer is not just no, but heck no. But let's discuss should the Chamber of Commerce had the right to put right to put the nativity scene up on the courthouse lawn? My answer would be yes. And to me, it's disappointing that the people at the city decided to cave in to, again, what I call the tyranny of the minority, small group of people who are bent out of shape about this. All right, 855-616-1620. Back with your calls in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, Christmas-themed story here. You have a Chamber of Commerce that puts up a nativity scene on a local courthouse lawn. A couple people complain, including one atheist who says, I shouldn't have to look at the baby Jesus in front of the courthouse. And the city council decides, even though they don't have to, because the Supreme Court says this is not a constitutional violation, city council says, nope, we're, we're going to take it down because some people were upset. 855-616-1620. To me, the, the fact that some people are upset, somebody's going to be upset about everything. As I frequently mention on this program, you've got the politically correct, and you've got the perpetually offended. Now, I understand 
this is kind of like what happens at the state capitol here, that, yes, if you allow the group to erect the, the nativity, what happens is that then you allow the other sort of groups to come in and put up their own displays as well. All right. That's just the price of living in a free country. But have we really gotten to the point where, gee, I don't want to see the baby Jesus on the dang courthouse lawn, so you can't put that? Really? Let's start with Sue. Sue, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Um, I was wondering when the minority began ruling this country, which seems to be what's happening lately. If one person complains about something, then we buckle under that complaint, and I'm really sick and tired of it. We well, had Jesus and the nativity scene around forever, and more people believe in that than don't, I'm guessing. So wh- why can't the majority rule in this country anymore? Well, What's uh, wrong with this country? Well, that, that's a close that, I'm not sure we have enough time in the program to answer that thing, but but I mean, it is it is interesting how some people want to, to pick and choose. I don't want to see the baby Jesus on the dang courthouse lawn. I'm offended by that. Okay, my guess is, well, most people, including, I would say, most government workers, for example, they, they have Christmas Day off. I mean, I don't know too many government offices that are open outside of an emergency situation. I mean, I understand there's police and firefighters and things like that. But your typical government worker, this is not a knock on them, they get Christmas off, right? Well, okay. All right. I mean, aren't we let, – let, let's understand. Why do they get December 25th off? They get December 25th off because it's Christmas Day. It's not some other day. It is – it's – the Christmas. That is why they get it off as part of the, the holiday. So does that mean that, all right, um, if we're really concerned about like celebrating and recognizing religion, that it should be just treated like any other day and all government employees should be expected to work that day? Now, I'm not arguing for that, but it, it is interesting to me that all these people who are bent out of shape about the nativity or something like that being displayed on public property, they're in a position where, all right, well, there's, there's some stuff that, you know, I guess we don't mind the religious inference to it. We don't mind the fact that it's got both a secular and a non-secular component. And, yeah, well, I got no problem with people taking the holiday, but... You know, when it comes to displaying the nativity, we, we cannot do that. Now, I do understand that the risk you run if you allow the nativity is that then, you know, you do, like I say, allow some of the atheist groups to come in and, like, put up, I don't know, you know, Kwanzaa pole, not Kwanzaa poles, but, you know, the festivist poles, that's the festivist poles, the, the silly stuff like that. So I understand that you've got... You know, that element that's out there. But at the same time, I mean, it, it is it is public. It has a both secular and it has a non-secular component to it. And, and candidly, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong if, if you, for example, have legitimate groups that want to come and they want to do displays that recognize Hanukkah. They want to do displays that recognize Kwanzaa. I, why not? I mean, th- these are these are public areas for this, and I don't know about you, 
But I, I've never, I, I, I went past something the other night, and they had a display of a menorah. I thought it was cool. All right, I'm not Jewish, but I, I thought I thought it was cool, and I certainly have a lot of friends who are Jewish, and I respect their various beliefs uh, quite a bit. You know, if you saw some display celebrating Kwanzaa, I wouldn't have an issue with that at all, but it is interesting to me that you have some people who just are appalled at the idea that, gee, I might have to look at a nativity scene in front of the local courthouse. Oh, the horrors. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, very glad to have you with us. Just one final thought on this. I have, uh, I have a very good friend, two very good friends, and they are they are atheists. Now, they having said that. They embrace the holiday slash Christmas season. You go over to their house, they've got inflatable snow people up in the yards and stuff. They, they embrace it. But, you know, they, they don't celebrate Christmas per se. But, but again, they, they embrace it. And, and I know that they are not offended. And see, this is what is so interesting to me. You know, if they go by a display of, of Hollywood, of, of, um, holiday lights that, for example, has stuff that is non-secular, say, for example, a nativity scene, they don't look at that and go, oh my gosh, those, those people are displaying the nativity scene. It's kind of like, oh, that, that's, that it's the Christ story. Now, now maybe you you believe as Christians do. I mean, of the significance of it. Otherwise, okay, maybe you just think, all right, this is just this folk tale that people you know tend to believe in. But they don't get offended by it, and that's what I find so interesting. That there's people out there that get offended by by this to the point of, gee, I don't want to have to walk past this public building where I might see some reference to other someone else's religion. It's not like I'm you know, it's not like somebody saying, Okay, you have to you have to believe. It's not like somebody saying, Hey, you have to pray before you can go into the courthouse or whatever. It's just a display on public property. And these people say they are offended by it. And that's I guess what it's so so interesting to me that there's people out there that are just constantly aggrieved that this this is what's going to trip your trigger and this is what's going to be offensive and like I say my I've got good friends they're atheists it would never occur to them to be offended by something like this you know they they don't acknowledge it they don't believe that it's anything more than this this story but they understand of course that it's important to some other people who who just have a different view but they're not offended by it when did we get so offended by everything to the point that, oh, my gosh, we can't have this because I'm going to be bothered, even though most people aren't going to be bothered? What about my rights and the point our caller was making? What about the rights of everybody else? Okay, let's let us switch gears. We were talking a couple minutes ago about the, the hop and the ridership being down and the question being, you know, is that going to be the start of a long-term trend? I, I think so. And especially if they start charging, I think it's really going to be a trend. All right. Well, one of the things that came to Milwaukee over the summer that's now gone away temporarily has been the dockless scooters. Uh, the scooters 
which of course made a big splash in Milwaukee, generated a lot of of controversy. First of all, because at least one of the scooter companies dumped them onto the city, operating without a permit, arguably in violation of state law. That kind of got cleared up. So then you had the scooter companies that moved in. They put those electric scooters all over the city, and and people started riding them. Uh, You had some instances where people were riding them on the sidewalk, which you're not allowed to do. You had some instances where people riding the scooters were seriously injured because typically maybe people know how to ride them. Maybe they don't. You hit a bump in the street. Um, you know, bad things can happen. But lots and lots of people rode the scooters and enjoyed them, despite the fact that, you know, some people did, in fact, get get injured. The scooter operations have now come to a halt. You, you can't you can't use scooters in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, you know, in, in December. That's just it just doesn't work that well. So due to winter conditions, some of the big operators like Bird Scooter ha- has has ceased operations for the year. So all these different companies, Bird and Lime and Spin, um, boom, they, they're, they're gone. And they, they started like taking them out in mid-November. All right. But here's the question. Question's going to be. What happens next spring? Because there's no guarantee that these companies are going to be allowed to come back. So let's assume for the sake of argument that the companies decide, all right, we, we made enough money in Milwaukee over the course of the, this first year to make it worth our while to come back and do business. So let's assume that the companies want to come back. Here's what I want to discuss with you. Our number, 855 616 All right, we've had a year, or at least a part of a year. We've had a summer and a fall with these rental scooters. Was it successful enough to say, let's do it again? Let's bring the scooters back. Or was it just not worth the effort that the people... You know, riding on the sidewalks, the scooters dumped anywhere, the occasional injuries. Is it worth bringing the scooters back? Because the Common Council is going to have to decide that. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Now, I am not a scooter rider, but I'm down at the lakefront a lot. And I saw a lot of people whizzing by on those scooters. I used to go down to Discovery World. They have a music show on, on various Wednesday nights. And, and you'd see people, you know, up and down on the scooters, some people on the sidewalks, some people on the streets. I didn't run into that many scooters, but I, I know a lot of people, particularly people who are down in Milwaukee more than me, ended up dealing with them a lot. So should we invite them back? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My answer <clears throat> would be, yeah, I'd bring them back, but again, I, I'd have an asterisk for this. Let's start with Zachary in Waukesha. Zachary, you're in WTMJ. Hey, thanks for having me yes, on. Um, I'm a huge, huge fan of the scooters. Um, I'm, I'm 29 years old, um, I think, Um they're very affordable. Um, they really help with. Um, I I've traveled over on the world, and Milwaukee has horrible public transportation. So I think the scooters really help. It's a private solution to a public problem. Let me ask you, and, let, me, um, Zachary, they, let me ask you. Yeah. What would you did Did you ride the scooters in Milwaukee? Yes. Yes. Okay. Tell, times, yeah. tell, okay. Tell me. 
tell me what you use them for. I'm, I'm legitimately curious. What did you use them for mostly? Um, just, you know, maybe I used them to get um, from, like, where I'd park my car. I knew there was free parking and always going to be a good parking spot. And I would just grab a scooter and I would go down to Pfizer Forum, a place where you'd have to pay a lot for parking. Okay. Or I would um, take them to... Um, you know, from my friend's house um, to the bars, but not the other way around. <laughs> Got it. Okay, and, so you would, uh, you would use it. You cheaper. used it primarily for like point-to-point transportation. I want to get from point A to point B, and it's a superior alternative as opposed to, hey, I, I want to just rent it and I wanted to you know, head up and down the lakefront because I thought it'd be fun. You uh, you actually use it as a transportation system. Yeah, it's for transportation. I have ridden around just, sure. um, just for fun before, but you know, I think uh, for safety reasons, I do think they need a put blinkers on them um just a little moped tab you just move your thumb on your on the left handlebar you move it right for right blinker left for left blinker um but yeah and you know it, it's you talked about the sidewalk part right. you know where people are riding them on the sidewalk you know when they're like if you guys keep doing this we're going to take them away look how bad people drive in the city of milwaukee we're not going to take people's cars away we give them tickets Ticket people, the city will get more revenue, and you know the city of Milwaukee loves giving tickets. So they they, yeah, they do, another. Zachary. Okay, I tell you what, I, I I hope either you or you know somebody who's a golfer because anybody that says you know the city of Milwaukee loves giving tickets, I'd love to give you a, a twenty five dollar gift certificate to Sticks Golf. Okay, would that work out? Okay. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I love that. It sounds good. Okay, well, we're going to put you on hold, and, and Gru will get the information. Um, you get our twenty five dollar. That's so nice gift of you to do that. Well, uh, but any, yeah, it was so nice. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, "Wow!" Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Zachary. Okay, let's yeah, let's put him on. Oh, well, see, well, well, no, I mean, it's, I get to give it to one caller a day, and it, it kind of I tickles like my fancy. And and Zachary, I it just okay, <laughs> I, I did love the line. You know how the city of Milwaukee <laughs> right. loves giving tickets. Give tickets to people. <laughs> they kind of make sense hmm. to me. It's two thirty-one. Let's go to the WTMJ Breaking News Center here. I don't. I wish I had a gift certificate for you, oh, kiddo, okay. but I don't. I don't I'm like sorry. Golfing, so that's okay. You don't like golfing no i mean miniature golfing oh you should go out and try the sticks place it's a simulator oh, it's really? a lot of fun oh, and, and, they would. and they've got a bar you know so i mean oh, they got well, tvs they got a bar can't go wrong there but unfortunately <laughs> i don't have a 25 i'd get in trouble if i gave if a 25 dollar gift certificate to, to you but <laughs> but my heart's in the right place you're listening to jeff wagner on wtmj So, very glad to have you with us. Here's an interesting story that's just breaking. Foxconn, of course, very, very controversial development, going to locate this giant plant in southeastern Wisconsin. It was a highlight of the Walker administration, controversial among people who um, were opponents of Scott Walker. And and there's been a lot of people who've been rooting for Foxconn to fail from, from day one. You know, Foxconn, for its part, has, I, I think sort of fed into some of this by continuously revising the plans as to, you know, what what exactly they're going to make at the facility and how many jobs are they going to actually create. And then after Governor Walker lost his bid for re-election last year, let, let's face it, I mean, Tony Evers inherited Foxconn. Foxconn was not Tony Evers's project. And the relationship between the Evers administration and the folks at Foxconn has been 
frosty, and I don't mean the snowman, for, for a while. I mean, yeah, they, they kind of, you know, Foxconn made their deal with Scott Walker, and then they got Tony Evers. Tony Evers was not a fan of Foxconn, and now he's got the deal that his electoral opponent cut. And so it, they've been going back and forth. And the, the question is, see, Foxconn's incentives in many cases are tied to their ability to, to generate jobs. You know, And if they don't meet certain job goals, they don't get the tax incentives that they were otherwise promised. And so that's, that's kind of the protective layer that's built into the, the deal. So now they're having a, there's a you-know-whatting match going on between Foxconn and Governor Evers. Foxconn is saying, you know, we, we've met our hiring goals. We should be getting these incentives. Governor Evers is saying, no, the, the Evers administration through their Department of uh, Commerce administration is saying, no, you, you haven't. And so right now they're trying to go back and they're trying to renegotiate the deal and they're trying to say, okay, Foxconn isn't doing what they promised us to do. And you've got you've got a mess. And now on top of that, there's a really interesting story in in urban Milwaukee, which is one of the local websites that I think has actually does a very, very good job of covering stuff going around on in the, the city, even though I don't necessarily agree with like the spin they have on things. But it's interesting. The director of what they call strategic initiatives in the United States is saying, OK, you know, here here's our, our biggest problem. We're unable to recruit employees necessary for, you know, our development project in Wisconsin. Guy says, look, we, we've traveled across the country. We've gone to North Carolina, to Illinois, to Michigan, to Ohio and Kentucky, trying to attract talent to come to Wisconsin. But we've fallen short. This is what they say. Foxconn has been relentlessly visiting colleges around Wisconsin to recruit and hire professionals at the beginning of their rear, uh, careers for roles in industrial, artificial intelligence, smart manufacturing, 5G networks, high-performance computing, etc., etc. With low unemployment rate, we have encountered great difficulties in recruiting the talent they need. Now, one of the things that this... I, this question raises is whether or not whether or not there's going to be enough workers to you know really do what the company had originally promised to do. Our number is eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have a why question. If it's true that Foxconn is aggressively recruiting. And let's assume for the sake of argument that they are. Let's assume that this is up front. They're trying to get, you know, graduates to come and and to relocate to Wisconsin and to start working in this. Assume that they're trying to do this, but they're not able to do it. They're not able to attract or to find workers who want to come and, and start out their careers here. I have a why question for you. Why would that be the case? 855-616-1620. Is it a question of people not wanting to relocate? Is it a question of people not wanting to do that kind of work? Is it a question of, hey, you know, they, they must obviously just not be paying enough to attract the, the talent that they need? <laughs> or, or do you think they're just not trying hard enough? All right, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. If Foxconn's not meeting its goals, and again, assuming assuming they're trying to hire people, 
Why is it that that's not working out? You know, we understand the dairy industry, and we've talked about this before. All right, it's it's tough to get people who want to work in the dairy industry because it's really, really hard work. The cows don't care if it's 10 degrees below zero. You know, they need to be milked. They don't care if it's Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve or the 4th of July. This is kind of different. What's going on? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us, Judy in Wauwatosa. Hi, Judy. Hey. Okay, what's going on? Why is Foxconn, if Foxconn is having trouble finding employees, what do you think's going on? Why? Well, I've got three millennial children, and my son is, would be an ideal candidate for Foxconn. He's got the technical uh, degree and all of that. He has absolutely no interest in working for a company like Foxconn because of what he's learned in the news about them. And I don't know whether it's true or not, but from what he says, they're not a socially responsible company, and that at other facilities they've got uh, people who are worked too hard and mm-hmm. have high incidence of suicide and things like that. So he just ha- wants to have nothing to do with them. Does your son have other options? I mean, is it is 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 his, are his skills in demand? Is, is he Yes. Yeah, okay. So Yeah. So he yeah. can he can afford to be picky. He's not like living in your basement or something like that. <laughs> no, absolutely not. He's yeah. doing real well. He's right. Got a degree with data science, which is highly sought after right now. Well, see, and that is, I mean, that's one of the issues that you have because it, it's a competitive sort of market. It, when it comes to, because you know, unemployment is, is virtually non-existent now, and the, the number of people that have the skills that are out there, you, you know, they, they can afford to be picky. They can pick and choose. And so, I mean, rightly or wrongly, you know, your son decides, hey, this isn't a company I want to work for. It's not like he doesn't have all sorts of options. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if that might be a factor that's kicking in. Yeah, no, thanks. I absolutely believe that. Thank you. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Let's talk to, let's see, Dave. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hey, how you doing today, Jeff? Real well, thank you. Okay, what's Foxconn? Why is Foxconn having such problems attracting people? Well, uh, like I told you, Screener, I believe it has to do with a little bit of the money. Uh, maybe if Foxconn was uh, putting out offers to these people, that had a little bit bigger incentive, they wouldn't have so many problems. As you're talking about, the unemployment rate is so low, if you want to get good people, you're going to have to put a little more on the table to attract them. Yeah, and I mean, and I get right. If if you're look, and I, I love Wisconsin, but let's say you're recruiting, you're recruiting people at at Purdue in Lafayette, East Lafayette, Indiana, and you want to get people to relocate to Wisconsin. Well, okay, you're probably going to have to. You're going to have to pay maybe slightly above market to get those people to be willing, the young people to be willing to move and, and relocate. That's that's just that's the nature of the business. But that's to me something that should have been anticipated all along. That you you might have to overpay a little bit to get people to come and then you know start their career. Absolutely, you know, and it doesn't have to just be with you know dollars in the paycheck. Maybe it could go even to uh, incentives for paying off some of the student debt or student loans or something else. I mean, there's all different ways that they could be creative, but I think if they put a little extra money on the table, they wouldn't have any problems at all. Well, yeah, you know, it's interesting. Thanks a lot for the call, Dave. I appreciate it. I've I've told this story before. I have have a friend who owns a whole bunch of McDonald's, 
And, you know, whenever we talk about the minimum wage, you know, he, he, they, 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 they don't pay the minimum wage. He said, you know, it would never occur to us to pay the minimum wage. We, we have to pay substantially above the minimum wage in order to get the type of employees who, you know, we want to work. You know that that you know we're going to put in our in our businesses, and that we're going to come back a second and a third day or whatever. You know you have to pay what the market bears, and, and yeah, that might mean lower profits. And yeah, would it be great for the business if you could get people to do the job for nine bucks or eight nine bucks an hour? But we can't. But he says we can't find people that will do that. The type of people we need, we have to pay substantially more than that in order to get them through the door. And yeah, I understand this is a different dynamic because you're talking about different skills. But it's what Foxconn is facing. So this idea that we can't get people, I don't really buy. I, I think the the real truth is you you can always find people. You just have to you have to hit their price point, and that's I guess what the the key is. And it's something that I think is is anticipated. Look, I want the Foxconn project to succeed, and, and it's not because of the political capital that was spent on this. It's because I continue to believe that something like Foxconn has the ability to be really kind of transformative, you know, for for our area, not just for today or tomorrow. And it's frustrating to me to see the Evers administration and Foxconn at, at loggerheads over over this. And I understand they both inherited each other. And I, I get it. it. It's sort of like, okay, well, you know, we thought Foxconn says we thought it was going to be the Walker administration. Evers is like, well, I don't think we wanted Foxconn to begin with. And now we're stuck in the shotgun marriage. I understand that. But it's in the interest of everybody to make this succeed. So I don't think the state needs to be giving ultimatums and demands to Foxconn. And at the same time, you know, Foxconn needs to figure out if they're having trouble attracting employees to do the work why is that? And I do agree with Dave. It's probably largely because, well, maybe that the pot just isn't sweet enough. I mean, you find people's price point and you'll have them fallen all over themselves to come to southeastern Wisconsin and work. When we come back, speaking of coming to southeastern Wisconsin and working, we'll find out what John and Melissa have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.